everyone, it's Lou Rosenfeld, and welcome to the latest Rosenfeld Review podcast. Hi, Kristen. How are you? Hi, Lou. I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me. So happy to have you. I have Kristen Skinner on the show, the head of design management at Capital One, and I am doing great. I'm really happy to be talking with you. Um, You are doing a lot of interesting things, and we are starting to do some of those things together. Uh, Kristen is um, one of the many smart people uh, that's worked at Adaptive Path, uh, which you may know was um, acquired um, a couple years back by Capital One, and uh, again, head of design management at Capital One now, and uh, but still uh, working on at least one uh, project that started at uh, Adaptive Path, and that's uh, programming the LX conference with uh, Richard Dalton. And uh, now working with Dave Maloof and Abby Covert and myself and programming the very first Design Ops Summit, which is going to take place here in New York City, November 6th through 8th, 2017. And uh, we may touch on that a little bit, but I really want to get a bit about your story, Kristen, and how you found your way into uh, design management and increasingly into the operations side of design. Oh, I'd be happy to share. Thank you for that for that background and welcome. Uh, I've been working with um, the fine folks at Adaptive Path now for the past seven years or so. And as you mentioned, our situation has changed, which I'd, I'd love to share with you what that what that's been like, what that journey has been. But um, if we if we zoom out a little bit, one of the things that I really uh, am passionate about and what drives me is building teams and building relationships. And so. I found myself most unhappy at work when I'm a team of one, and I find myself uh, quite the opposite when I'm part of a, something bigger. So that's been the, the key driver for me in my career is just trying to go to those places where I can add some value and try to be a connector. Um, I did start off as a team of one, so I was an interaction designer back in the day, back in around 2000, so it's been quite a while, um, quite the ride, frankly, but uh, what I found was I really wanted to um, learn how things worked behind the scenes and and under the hood, if you will. And I became a front-end developer as a result. And part of that journey then led me um, from the startup world all the way up to Seattle to Microsoft, where I then switched over into um, a program management role. So that was really my first take on uh, being the facilitator and a coordinator and somebody who could really drive um, making things go. So that's been a a big key theme for me. Uh, my time at Microsoft was interesting. I, again, found myself as the lone UX person, a UX team of one and a team of uh, over 400, organization of 400 people. And so it was a very lonely time. Um, but at, during that time, I, I discovered the Managing Experience Conference, which was being hosted by Adaptive Path. And I got to go, and I was blown away by uh, the community, frankly. I met Peter Merholtz there. He was hosting. He was part of one of the founders of Adaptive Path. I think at the time he was president of the company. I went back to Microsoft and I quit my job and I was ready to move back to San Francisco and uh, I met um, a woman named Kat Holmes who was leading a new studio for Pioneer Studios working with Jay Allard and team Albert Shum at Microsoft for focusing on consumer experiences um, for connected entertainment and that was super interesting to me. So. I ended up through a series of conversations deciding to take a new role and stay in, in Seattle for a couple, commit to a couple more years there. And I um, was able to lead the design management practice and team at Microsoft Pioneer Studios. 
And that role was really evolutionary for me, revolutionary, if you will, um, in that I discovered many things, but one of the most important things I discovered was um, how to build and lead design teams. So uh, now we're in 2010 and I finally um, made the decision to move back to San Francisco and I went to work for Adaptive Path. So I'll pause there, see if you have any questions, because I'm just going to keep going, if not. Well, um, kind of a lot. it's a great story so far, and I, I, uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that you had, had come in contact with Peter Merholtz. So um, now you're an adaptive path, and um, you're, you're on the outside working with large organizations, enough that you and Peter gathered a heck of a lot of information and we're able to put that together uh, in the book Org Design for Design Orgs, which uh, O'Reilly uh, put out, was it it's just this year, really? Oh, end of last year. End of last year, end so, of 2016, yeah. Right, and uh, congratulations on that. Thank you. So uh, let's, let's hear about uh, the story uh, at Adaptive Path and uh, how it came together to uh, take a form of a book. Sure. Um, so I immediately, my, my very first project happened, happened to be with Peter, actually. Um, we went to Seoul and did some work with uh, SK Telecom, and then we continued to work together on many other projects. And my role uh, changed over time, um, naturally, at Adaptive Paths, given the, the length of time I was there. But when I first arrived, there was no program management practice. Um, so that's the very first thing I noticed. And that was the first opportunity that I took was to bring in um, that discipline into the organization. I was really focusing on that plus uh, client relationships, account management, um, really shifting from being more of a uh, small teams of independent consultants to an actual design consultancy that was focusing on building uh, longer term relationships with our with our customers and clients. So when you say bring it in, where did it come from? Well, I, I was taking it from my experience, the four years I spent at Microsoft, there's a very mature program management practice, um, a center of excellence, if you will, around program management. So I was able to leverage a lot of the experience and the um, practices and methods that I learned there. Um, I looked to outside folks who had been in similar situations, like Scott Birkin, he had written uh, a lot on the topic of, of project and program management. So we were bringing in a lot of those principles as well. Scott's um, great. Mm -hmm, he's fantastic. So we, um, I was able to build, build out a small team that was responsible then for um, sort of the end-to-end -end experience of building relationships with, the, with our clients, with uh, being a knowledge base, frankly, so tying together sort of um, the project work into st more stories and uh, insights and sharing that back with folks who are either – you know, new to the team or when teams were changing or growing, we were able to, to provide that knowledge base. Um, focusing on fiscal responsibility, that was a big area of, of focus. So really making sure we were measuring the right things, um, not just the dollars, but also the project health and the practice health and bringing in new, new ways to do that. Um, so fast forward to, well, sorry, there's, there's a lot that happened in between there because um, I ended up working on probably over about 50 projects uh, during my time in that role and created a, a design management practice and ended up leading a, a small team across a few different locations. Uh, and then let's see, we, um, I became managing director 
And so then my, my focus shifted a little bit where I was doing more strategic oversight and really focusing on the account model and making sure that we were taking great care of our customers as well and finding the right balance, frankly, um, for our culture, for our community of events, our community of practice and sharing out in the world and then finding the right structure for our portfolio and making sure that we were fiscally responsible and profitable. Um, so let me just interrupt for a moment. Sure. Somewhere along the way, you stop being a designer, right? Or maybe you stop seeing yourself as a designer or, or were you, did you see yourself as a designer of maybe different things? Not I, yeah, I'm glad you asked. I actually saw myself being a designer of teams and um, practice versus the work itself. And that was a, that was a, not an obvious shift for me at the time as I was going through it naturally because I was in it, but it was um, at one point it was, it was a, very distinct choice that I needed to make and needed to be comfortable with. And, and now, um, given the experience I've just had with writing the book with Peter, um, I really believe that there is an org design for blank um, in all different industries. So I'm, I'm really fascinated about org design in general, um, not just specifically for design organizations. I feel like that, that is the, one of the most important um, indicators and frankly uh, factors for, for success of, of, many different types of teams. Do you think that um, we're going to start seeing designers designing those types of organizations uh, as just, you know, basically a flavor of design that, that goes beyond design organizations? Are we going to start taking over the, the org design uh, business, if you will? I hope so. I, I, I'm, I hesitate to say we will take it over, but I would, I could see us leading that and I can see us absolutely partnering with others to do that. In many ways, that is uh, one of the core things about service design is really bringing together sort of the, the customer journey perspective, but also changing the organization in order to support it. So figuring out what is the blueprint, what is the current state of the organization and what do we need to change? Where are the gaps? How do we go from to, um, and design can play a big role in helping to facilitate that, but it's certainly not the only role um, that's necessary. Mm -hmm. so I do feel like that's, um, that is a potential large future where design can add a lot of value. And that's something I'm, I'm keenly interested in. Um, in fact, I was joking with Peter the other day about writing another version of the book and he, he shut me down pretty quickly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> only, only because of it's the, the time sensitivity. He, he just started his new role at uh, snag a job and he's firing on all cylinders right now. So writing a blog post right now is, is a, uh, one of the biggest challenges I think that we're, we're both facing. Um, so I think we'll do it. We're just not quite there yet. But um, the, the interesting thing about how we came to write the book together was we had just uh, co-programmed the 10th anniversary of the MX conference, the Managing Experience Conference. Uh, this must have been back in 2015. Um, and we were, we were catching up on that and we we're also catching up on roles. I think Peter was trying to hire a design program manager at the company he was at and he was asking me about it and he was, I was sharing with him um, some of the key responsibilities and the qualities that we look for, the mindset that we look for in successful design program managers. Um, things like being able to uh, see around corners. That's a, a term somebody on my team used at one point. Uh, being able to sort of... Uh, zoom out and, and take into account all sides, being a great facilitator, um, staying calm, being, <laughs> being the voice of reason, being able to hear all sides and having a lot of empathy for everybody and their different roles and what their different challenges are, um, which goes beyond just design. 
but for teams in general. And we, um, we both came to this realization at the same time. We were like, huh, we both have really different perspectives, but complementary perspectives on design in general. We should write a book. And that's when we started putting together an outline and really thinking about what the topics could be, who the audience would be and who it would be for. Um, and we, we got excited about it. And I was just coming into um, setting up this new practice at Capital One. So timing was, was definitely not ideal. Uh, there, was a, there was a lot going on for both of us, but um, having a co-author is a great driving force where you're accountable to one another and you don't want to drop the ball and you don't want to, to let each other down. So um, we were able to, to do, I think, 20 plus interviews with design leaders uh, in lots of different industries um, and write the thing in about a year. Um, so we're here now. Uh, that was, let's see, six months ago that it came out. And we've been just speaking about it and teaching about it. So I'm really, I'm really happy for the opportunity to talk with you about it today, Lou, because as I mentioned, it is something I'm really passionate about, um, figuring out sort of how to set up the right environment for designers to get their best work done and to be really effective. So let me ask you a question about, uh, about the idea of designing organizations in the first place. The, this is the stuff of, of the design material is very different and very conceptual than it might be for uh, compared to other design contexts. Um, how, I mean, how do you make it tangible? How do you get uh, people to understand that this is a, not only just another design context, but one that maybe has more tangibility than they realize? Well, I think it does come down to shared shared vision and shared outcomes. I mean, there needs to be leadership at the right level who, who truly believes that that sort of a transformation is necessary. And it could be on a small scale or it could be on a, you know, a holistic giant scale, depending on this, the state of your organization, um, whether you're new and just getting started and you have the opportunity to actually envision where you're headed and, and make a plan to get there. Or if you're in more of a evolutionary phase where you know that you need to grow, or you know that you've maybe just acquired another company. How do you get those, those companies to work together? Just something that um, I got to experience firsthand and many, many folks get to experience firsthand and it's really challenging and it's ongoing. Um, but I think the, the, the idea is that um, you really need to be able to think about, okay, here's where we're headed. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but uh, we're going to, commit to one another that, that this is a top priority. We're going to get the people that we need, the skills and the capabilities that we need and the, the priorities and, um, and work on it together. So there's a bit of a, an art and science to it, I believe. Um, and there's other models that you could look at. I am, you know, you've got to do your research up front to see what works and what doesn't based on your context. But um, it could be, you know, like I mentioned, it could be a shorter term thing or it could be something that just takes years but you've got to have that, that um, sort of the, be given the, you have to have the authority, but also the autonomy to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I, I was re re reacting a little bit to your comment about seeing around corners, which I really love. Um, and um, uh, you mentioned models a moment ago. Mm -hmm. uh, are models, are, are there, first of all, um, are models the main way you get people to understand the context and what's feasible, what they should be working on. Uh, and are there um, standard models that you draw on that, that come from organizational design or have you had to create new ones for this context? It's mm -hmm. a great question. Um, 
the models are, are absolutely one way to get people oriented around um, the vision. There's different frameworks that you can use. One of the things that Peter and I actually did for the book was we explicitly decided not to make it a book about business. Rather, we wanted to make it a book about design organizations because that's what we know. And there's many, many great books about there, out there about, about designing your, your business. Um, we found a gap in designing your design team and, and what it takes to actually get it set up and what the stages of evolution look like, what are the qualities of an effective design organization, et cetera. Um, so I think for me, what my perspective coming in is I, um, I still have a lot to learn. So there's, to, I, to the question that you're asking about um, what models are out there, that's something I'm interested in learning more about as well to see where the gaps are and to see where design can really be applied to be uh, more of a driving force. Yeah, I mean, it seems like uh, I, in talking with people who are making this transition or thinking about it from designing things to designing organizations and other things that are not so traditional, uh, you need some sort of uh, some sort of roadmap or, or some kind of model just to make sense of the space and understand mm -hmm. what the levers you ha you have available to you are. And, um, so it sounds like. Um, you know, one of the things that you get into uh, quite a bit in your book are different organizational models, which are, I, uh, I think, rendered as org charts. Do you feel that the org chart is something that um, does the job fairly well, or does it leave much to be desired? I think it absolutely leaves much to be desired. Uh, one of the things that we try to preach, for lack of a better word, is don't ship the org chart. Um, design as you know, is, is very um, much more fluid, much more team focused. Mm -hmm. uh, when you go into a more of a traditional organization where it's individual results focused, um, designers can really struggle because the work that we do is highly collaborative and it's hard to take credit, frankly, for a piece of the experience um, when you know that the experience is really about what is the sales and marketing team doing? What is, you know, how, what was the customer support experience? Um, how, are, how is our technology uh, expertise and uptime and accuracy and speed, et cetera, all the things that, that are valued. Um, how strong is our product management team? It, it takes, you know, an entire collective to create an experience like that. So I feel like um, it's a challenge for designers to find their way in many, in many cases that we've seen um, because of the organizational structures that are in place that are outdated, frankly, and, uh, are set up in a way to create the highest level of efficiency, not the mm -hmm. highest level of effectiveness. Yeah, that's a big issue. Uh, I'm glad you yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. There's there's got to be a pretty big tension here, uh, and I mean, you know, we're not trained as designers to really think much about efficiency. In certain contexts, we are, but it's not necessarily what we're about. Um, we're, we're certainly being stretched in that direction more and more. And, and I think it's kind of interesting that you and I are talking a lot and obviously working on this new conference on uh, design ops. Uh, and that's just a framing we're using. We don't know if that's the ultimate right one, but uh, you know, a lot of ops is, is really focused on efficiency and amplifying the, the impact that designers can have in an organization. And, uh, you know, I mean, for me, I see the framing in many cases as, hey, uh, an organization is just invested 
in uh, a huge design team, uh, but it's kind of dumb if you don't have the operations to support that team and amplify its abilities around the organization. That's about efficiency, right? Mm -hmm. At least to a large degree. Uh, does design ops sort of maybe address this tension that you brought up a moment ago? I, I am hopeful, and I'm glad that you brought this up as well because um, one of the things that we really focus on is the environment that we're currently in is that companies are investing in design like never before. But if there isn't a plan to leverage that investment, it's going to go to waste. Um, we see that over and over again. And that was a, a theme that we heard from pretty much every design leader that we talked to. Um, so I'm super excited about the Design Ops Summit that you and I and Abby and Dave get to work on together, and I'm honored to be included in it. One of the things that is top of mind for me on a daily basis is exactly that topic. Um, I've been, so during my time over the last 16 months or so, 18 months now at Capital One, I have been charged with uh, creating a new practice that is called design management, um, which really gets at the heart of design operations and gets at the, is meant to get at the challenge of, of uh, being a well-managed design team, design work. We've grown exponentially. We've grown from 60 to close to 400 people in just two and a half years as a design org. Um, and we need to make sure that we've got the right structure in, in place to support that. And so the topics for design operations that come to mind for me are really around designing teams, aligning on problems, not solutions, um, figuring out how to actually practice design. So when you're thinking about what does it mean or what does it look like to go and work with our executives, with our partners on strategic initiatives, what's, what's our role in that? Are we, are we designing the working session? Are we leading it? Are we facilitating it? Are we a participant? So all of the things that go from strategy to tactics and in between is really getting at um, that organizational maturity and figuring out how to grow and scale your design team. And again, to support designers so that they can do their best work. Um, so that my team is really in service of the design organization. That's our first customer. We practice at a few different levels of Zoom. So we have design practice managers who are aligned with each of our lines of business. And they partner with the head of design. They're, they're effectively running the business side of design. Um, and then we have folks at the program level. These are a, a small team of people who are focused on the highest priority initiatives, the big platform work, our mobile apps, our, our customer-facing sites, et cetera. And then we have a small... Um, but mighty and diverse design systems or design ops team um, that is more like a shared service. So they are the team that will be serving up, understanding requirements and then serving up the, the tools and the methods um, and the systems to support the design organization and the design leadership team. Um, what about uh, supporting people that aren't necessarily designers or don't see themselves that way, but are doing some sort of design related task? So folks who might be... Um, Let's say there are... Uh, yeah, there might be product managers. They may be uh, running a call center. They may be uh, uh, creating uh, content for a call center. Um, mm -hmm. those people... I mean, they're, they're in essentially a design role. I mean, design is becoming democratized. More and more people are in some sort of... Uh, it touches more and more people's uh, jobs. It, they, they don't necessarily even realize that they're doing some form of design, but the tools are out there. The demand is out there. 
Do you see that as a, an audience uh, of people that design ops needs to enable as well as the professional designer? Absolutely. Um, we have a few ways that we're currently addressing that exact uh, scenario, those scenarios that you just described, like uh, workplace solutions, for example, or our legal team or our audit teams, those centralized groups that could really benefit from um, evolving their businesses and evolving the, the way that they work. And so we have a, what, we, what we're calling communities of practice within our design organization, um, teams like service design practice. So Kendra Schimmel just joined Capital One. She had been at Cooper previously. Um, and she's been focusing on service design and building out our capability there. So she's got a team that works in three different ways. We have a consulting model. So we're acting as a shared, a shared service for service design where we're designing methods and tools uh, and toolkits and sharing those out with our uh, internal employees, our internal associates, we call them at Capital One. Um, we also have a learning platform. So if you want to learn service design methods and approaches, um, and bring those back to your teams. You, you're not necessarily going to have service designers on your team, but you may want to better understand how to practice service design. Um, you can go through a few different models of learning in that regard. Um, there's also an executive level um, deep dive that we do so that we can get some um, buy-in across the company around uh, practicing service design. And then service design and design management partner really closely together because what design, design managers are really focusing on is the work itself. So we understand all of the roadmaps and the priorities across the organization. And we can bring that back in and synthesize it in a way that service design can then say, wow, here, look at all these patterns. There's, let's, as an example, making this up, of course, let's say there's 25 different teams working on the onboarding experience for new customers. Let's, let's pull together this group of of folks and work on it together and work in a much more collaborative way. And we can use service design to actually get that done. So there's a lot of great stuff happening internally um, around exactly what you just described for figuring out not just how to scale design for the sake of design, but to, to be better stewards of, of the design methods and practices that we're, we're learning and making sure that we're creating these communities of practice within the organization as well as outside. Well, I mean, you guys are really, um, uh, pushing the envelope and in, in not just in design ops, but in a lot of ways, Capital One. I'm really impressed by what you're doing. And every time I, I talk to you or, or another person from Cap One, it seems like and yet another really smart person has been hired. <laughs> Congrats on, on hiring Kendra. Um, Thank you. Uh, uh, one more question for you. I think you've given a, a really great picture of, of not just the um, – uh, current state of, of design ops at, at Cap One, but the kind of questions that are shaping design ops right now um, and that we're going to cover at our conference in November here in New York. What about five years out? Let's pick that as an arbitrary time. What kind of questions do you think we're going to be asking about design ops? What's the practice going to be struggling with then? And what are some of the issues that you think we'll have kind of taken care of between now and then? So what I hope will happen is that we will stop talking about measuring experience. Um, but what I really believe will happen is we'll have, we'll be having conversations around the different types, the different ways in which we measure experience. There'll be, there'll be much better known frameworks and a much smaller set that we can go to versus the homegrown um, kind of roll your own that we're doing the DIY that we're all doing right now and having uh, a lack of um, sort of consistency 
and a lack of foundation, frankly, around how we're doing it and what we're using it for. I think, and I hope that we'll, we'll have firmly moved away from the conversation around the value of design itself. Like, mm-hmm. It won't even be a topic anymore um, because we've, we've already, I think we've already crossed that threshold where it's, it's, it's happening. It is happening across all different industries, even in, outside of consulting firms like Adaptive Path being acquired or Spring Studio being acquired by BBVA, like the trend that we've seen with financial services uh, companies investing in design like never before, to the large management consultancies like McKinsey acquiring Lunar, et cetera. Um, I think that, that you know, that's going to continue to happen in, company, in, in designers as they're coming up out of school or as they're maturing in their careers are going to be have a lot more to choose from, frankly, um, in terms of how they want to spend their, their careers and, and what they want to actually make. Um, so the the next big wave frankly is is the operationalizing of it and i don't i'm not here to to proclaim that design should be operationalized um that's not the end goal but the idea is that there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of how we support our design teams and our designers and that's really what i want to be focusing on and making some some big strides toward over the next few years well, we'll have to have a conversation about this in a few years. Let's look back on this one and see how we're going. Let's put it on the calendar now. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you. Great talking with you. Uh, really Likewise. Uh, putting this uh, conference together with you. Uh, we're, again, working together on the first Design Ops Summit in New York City, November 6th through 8th. Go to designopssummit.com to learn more. And uh, thank you also, uh, you and Peter Merholtz, for bringing us Org Design for Design Orgs. Uh, Again, published by O'Reilly, um, came out late 2016. Everyone should have a look at that book as well. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Lou.